Hello, I'm Tim Vanderberg, and this is Talking Um on uh, Jimmy Stewart, the podcast where impersonations are sketchy at best, but we still talk to people who knew, worked with, or were inspired by actor, war hero, and all-around swell guy, Jimmy Stewart. Early this year, I had the privilege of talking to an incredibly sweet lady who happens to have played a key role in one of your and my favorite films. I'm talking, of course, about Carolyn Grimes, Zuzu Bailey, and It's a Wonderful Life. Over the years, she has become synonymous with this legendary film by making public appearances throughout the country and at a festival each December held in Seneca Falls, New York. We talked by phone about her days as a child actor, our favorite quotes from It's a Wonderful Life, and how the film continues to inspire people to help each other and to live a better life. I hope you enjoy it. It occurred to me that speaking with the actress who played Zuzu Bailey after Christmas is sort of like interviewing Santa in the off season. How was your most <laughs> How was your most recent tour? Oh my goodness, it was just wonderful. I met so many great people and I just had a wonderful time. Uh, there's so many people that love this film that it's incredible. And they like to share their stories with me. And, of course, I love to hear them. And, oh, wow. I just, uh, it, it's good for my heart to hear all the wonderful people that enjoy this film and the messages that touch their lives. Do people call you Zuzu? Oh, sure. May I call you Zuzu? Certainly, Absolutely. <laughs> I wondered if people just casually call you that, like they know you. Yes, they do. That's a lot of fun. Well, we're going to uh-huh. jump. We're going to jump around all over the place. But I, but know this. Uh, full disclosure: It's a Wonderful Life is probably my favorite movie. I remember one time it was on at the same time as Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I felt like I was in a science experiment where someone must have been watching me toggle back and forth between the two. So those two <laughs> movies are huge to me. What are your favorite films? Other than the ones you were in. No, you can include those. That would make sense because those are good ones. <laughs> well, you know, I I really, I'm one of these people who, who just uh, likes the classics, kind of. I like The Lost Horizon. I like, I, I like uh, movies that have made a fingerprint and, or some print, so to speak. And, and that's what I like to watch. But at Christmas time, that's a different story. I right. watch a lot of Christmas movies. Well, you're in, I love Christmas. You're in two of the the most iconic Christmas movies. That's true. The Bishop's Wife and It's a Wonderful Life. And he worked with some of the biggest stars and some of the biggest directors. So who, who else can say that they played the daughter of Fred McMurray, Bing Crosby, Jimmy Stewart, Loretta Young... Who am I leaving out? Oh, my goodness. Gary Cooper. Uh, did you get Ben Crosby? <laughs> ben Crosby. Did you play Gary Cooper's daughter? No. Okay, no. okay. No, so I though... Unconquered, which was an extravaganza thing. It was a great movie, I guess, back in the day. Cecil D., you know, he was, it was one of his grand things. But uh, I, I worked with... Uh, Betty Grable. I worked. <laughs> I worked with Hans in Hofstra's Sanitary with Dan Kay. You know, I I was with many many of the greats, and uh, they don't make them like that anymore. I'm afraid. Now, what what are some of your recollections of working with Cary Grant? Well, you know, Cary Grant, in my opinion, might have been 
kind of a uh, he might have had total recall or he might have been a genius. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. But uh, I never, ever, you know, most of the time you see people, the stars, they would be sitting in their director chair studying their lines for the next scene. The man never studied his script, never had a script in his hands. It was amazing. Really? I feel like he was extra intelligent. That's fascinating. What about John Wayne? Well... He was a masterful sort of fella, and he used to be booming with his voice, as he'd say, hello, little Miss Carolyn, and he, you know, he was really a nice man, and, and he was really easy to get along with. Uh, everybody loved him, the hands, the, the, everybody, just really, the crew, everybody really loved him, and they, they played poker. And they did a lot of fun things, you know, all all the time. They liked their their booze a bit, but he just was a great guy. I really liked being around him. I've heard that. I've read a lot of similar things. People just say he's not the tough guy at all. He was very warm. Oh, he was down to earth, sweet and kind. Yeah, that was the movie Rio Grande, or is it Rio Grande? We used to call it Rio Grande in the day, but. I've heard people say Rio Grande. I don't know. Uh, But Rio Grande is how I grew up with it. Originally, it was going to be Rio Bravo, and then they changed it to Rio Grande. Oh, and then there was a Rio Bravo later. Yes, there was. Uh, So this was was a John Ford film. Do you remember working with Mr. Ford? Yes, I do. He was kind of scary. Very intimidating. (laughs) He looks it. Well, he was. He was kind of grouchy, and and uh, if things weren't going too good, he kind of would come unglued a little bit. Yeah, there are stories about him ripping into actors, and I think Jimmy Stewart being one of them. Um, I think it was Henry Fonda who warned him that that would happen, and John Wayne laughed when it finally did because he was used to it. John Wayne had starred with him so often, and, and Jimmy just a little bit later on in the 60s. So it's, it's well, I think everybody knew that he had a temper and that uh, he let it fly. And I I got to be the witness of him and, and uh, Maureen O'Hara. Wow, there were fireworks. Whoa. And a recent passing. She lived a long life. Yeah, she was a, a very brilliant actress and a very beautiful woman. Do you own copies of all the movies you were in? No, um, I don't. You've seen them all at some point, I imagine? Yes, I I have seen them all at some point, but no, I don't. Well, maybe I'm enough of a narcissist. I would own every single copy of a movie I was in. (laughs) (laughs) Well. (laughs) I I think people would love to know how you got started. And I uh, understand your mother was a stage mom. Um, oh, yes. Real quick, what did your dad do? He was the manager of a Safeway store. Okay. Okay, great. Okay, so your mother was a stage mom. Do you remember any discussion regarding why you got into acting at such an early age? No. Is this something uh, that... Uh, she started getting sick when I was eight years old. Yeah. And uh, so... She, we didn't have, I don't remember having a discussion with her at all about anything like that. 
It was just something you were always involved with. Your mother yeah, just I mean, figured, I why not? Up with it. And, and she gave me every lesson possible. I started the piano when I was three. I played the violin when I was five. I had singing, dancing, drama. You name it, I had it. You were a triple I threat. I, I think most people are familiar with what happened then. So you're, you were 14 years old. Your mother passed away. You mentioned she had been ill. And then uh-huh. your, your yeah. father died, <coughs> excuse me, within the following year in a car accident. Uh-huh. And so you're, you're forced to move with an uncle and aunt in, help me with the pronunciation, Osceola. Osceola, Missouri. Is that on the, actually, is that on the Missouri side or the Missouri side? <laughs> well, in my book, it's Missouri. <laughs> okay. Uh, my grandparents on one side were from Green Ridge and Sedalia, and I think that's up near, if I looked at a map, that was north of Osceola. So, but I think they Did pronounced you say Sedalia? it. Sedalia? Sedalia. Start with an S, Sedalia? That's right. Oh, that's east. Okay. East of Osceola, yeah. Okay. I used to go there a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Southeast, I think I, it is. I think I had been there at least once, but I was young. I think they pronounced it Missouri. <laughs> yeah, everybody did different. I don't know. <laughs> so you, I understand that it took some time for you to get settled, resettled, as people would imagine. And then at one point you, you determined that that was the life for you. You didn't miss Hollywood at all, and... I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that, that break away from your early life and then, you know, the new life that you embraced. Well, it was just a uh, a great change to come from Hollywood to a little town with 800 people in it. I'd been going to L.A. High. There were 900 kids in my class at L.A. High. And I was pretty much uh, devastated to end up in this little town. Uh, I thought I'd die. But um, especially in the situation I was in because I ended up with my father's brother and his very mean wife. So I thought, well, this is the end. But it turned out that all the people in the community really did support me. And they gave me 100% uh, of love, and I, I really had a lot of um, encouragement, and uh, they gave me self-confidence. I really did benefit a lot from these wonderful people, and they were real. In Hollywood, you know, you got to watch your back all the time because you were always in a competition. Somebody's always out to get you. That's the way it is. It's dog-eat-dog. And... I found that in this little town in the Midwest, it wasn't that way, that the people are all different. They're supportive and they're really special. And and so I decided that maybe I wouldn't go back. So I didn't. <laughs> so despite the fact that you didn't really love the immediate home situation, the community more than made up for that? Yeah, they yeah. did. Did you ever, so you're, you've broken away from Hollywood figuratively too you just never really thought about it but could you really get away from that I was curious like you're watching TV in the 50s 60s and people you starred with are all over TV Fred McMurray Donna Reed they both had their own TV shows did you ever watch those and then think oh sure yeah what mm-hmm. did it yeah. ever put you in a what if type of mode like you wondered no 
Yeah, I never you went just, there. You broke away from it. Just never had any desire to to think like that. Yeah. Um, I thought in the present, I'm here, and I'm looking for what's good about where I am, and that's kind of the way I went. So eventually, you you did move. You got married. You've had children. Um, you've had a career. The '70s come around, and something interesting happens. It's a wonderful life resurfaces. It's all over TV. It's in the public domain because of a copyright issue. And unexpectedly, it creeps back into your life. And I understand you saw this movie for the first time in 1980. That's right. And keeping in mind so listeners don't freak out, VCRs are still rare. Movies aren't widely available. You can't go rent everything or download things like you can now. So it's not unheard of that you wouldn't have come across that but an interesting thing happens people your phone starts to ring yeah and people came to my door and wanted to know if I was that little girl in the movie and I said well yeah and that's how it all started they got they started interviewing me and uh, I enjoyed it and uh, I really had a good time and then of course uh, they would um, I started getting the fan mail and that's when it kind of blew my mind and I thought whoa maybe I better look at this movie <laughs> yeah all right so let's talk about how you got into that movie for a second um, why do you think Frank Capra cast you oh I guess I had the right look and I had a good personality I don't know <laughs> I think so. You, that definitely comes across. So, yeah, certainly they're looking for somebody who could pass as Donna Reed's daughter or, or Jimmy's daughter. Donna Reed, for sure. I think with the blonde hair. Personality yeah. plus. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I went for the interview, one of the mothers spilled some coffee on my dress. And um, I think that might have been on purpose. I don't know. But anyway... The only reason I even thought about it was because I heard my mother talking about it after the interview. But I, you know, went in there to see Mr. Capra, and I had on a soiled dress, and it didn't bother me one bit. I just chatted away. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been one to be shy. And he probably liked that. Oh, I bet he did. What, What are your recollections of Frank Capra? Well, he was a very gentle man. Now, uh, uh, you know, the total opposite of John Ford. He was gentle and kind, and he'd get down on his knees and, and look you straight in the eye and tell you what he wanted you to do and how he wanted you to act. And so you, you had a better understanding of what was expected of you. Right. So I read that you went on tour with the Bailey kids. Like uh, There was a reunion in the 90s. Yes. What, what was that experience like? And for, for those listening, there's Carol Coombs, played Janie, yourself, Larry Sims as Pete, who's unfortunately no longer with us, Jimmy Hawkins as, as Tommy, and mm-hmm. you're, yep. you're going all over the country at this point for Target, if I understand. Well, the Target stores had used It's a Wonderful Life as a theme for their stores that year, 1993. And... So part of the promotion was to reunite the Bailey kids. And so they did. Uh, we hadn't seen each other in 
many, many years. So it was really a wonderful trip. We went all over. But that was the first time that I actually was exposed to the fans, so to speak, because they would come through the lines at Target, and we would just hear the most amazing stories. And it was then that I realized that this movie is really uh, more than just a film. It's, it's actually a part of uh, American movie history. It's iconic. It's really uh, something I'm proud to be a part of. Absolutely. So I think it'd be fun to hear some of your experiences with some of the other people in the film, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. What were your early impressions of both of them and what experiences did you have with them later on? Well, Jimmy Stewart was, uh, you know, he's the one that I really remember because I was always on his back in his arms. I was always with him and having interactions with him. And he was very gentle and kind and always was so careful to let me down gently. And, you know, he just was a really wonderful person. Um, one of the things that I remember, especially is when we did the pedal scene and I was sick upstairs in bed, I messed up a line and he said, well, that's, that's all right, Carol, and you'll get it right the next time. And I did. And I always felt like, you know, that was, that was a little lesson in, in it's okay. You, you can make a mistake and, and get over it. Yeah. So, you know, he was just a really wonderful guy. Donna Reed, I really never had any interaction with. I never had a line with her. I was always in his arms looking at him and interacting with him. So I really don't remember too much about her, but I know that Jimmy Hawkins went on to be on the Donna Reed show, played Tommy in the movie, and uh, he, he felt like she was like a second mom to him. She said, he said she was a dear, sweet, kind, and gentle person. Oh, Very that's intelligent. That's, that's great to know. So... You didn't cross paths with her ever, even after the movie? Like, uh, in no, the 70s, I never did. 70s or 80s. And then what about Jimmy? Were you uh, yes, interacting with him I at all? I did with Jimmy, yes. I, you know, it, it's a very interesting thing because Donna Reed died very early. She, was, she died in 86, and uh, she, she had pancreatic cancer. So, I mean, she really never really got to see as much as Frank Capra and and Jimmy Stewart did as far as what the movie really became. Yeah, that's uh Because it was box office flop when it came out. Right, and it's so hard to understand, but the marketing of it was a little off and the timing wasn't right and the tone right. tone wasn't quite what people wanted to see. I I'm sure you're 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 telling people that all the time. Yeah. Mhm. Mm yeah. There were a lot of reasons why it, it just it just uh, wasn't well received, and so it sat on a shelf for 20 years, and and that's when in the early 70s they didn't renew the copyright, so it became public domain, and it was free, so all the little television stations across America could show it, and you you'd see it on seven, eight, ten channels at one time. Oh yeah, that that's how I first came across it, and I'm glad that they're showing it more often now. I know NBC has been. They've had the exclusive rights, but they've, in the last year, shown it on other NBC-owned stations like USA Network, and I, I saw it pop Fiesta up on had it. Bravo, I think. Uh -huh, Bravo so that's good, it. yeah, because I, I think that's how people, you know, get exposed to it. It doesn't just become uh -huh. that, that old film that your parents liked. 
it's something everybody can get into. So I took a look at imdb.com and uh, I wanted to see what I could find out regarding other actors from It's a Wonderful Life who appear to still be with us. This isn't 100% accurate uh, because some of these actors are pretty obscure, so there's probably not much information out there about them. So forgive me if this sounds like a McCarthyism inquiry, but have you interacted with or do you know the whereabouts of any of the following? Virginia Patton as Ruth Dakin. Yeah, mm-hmm. she is uh, uh, was Harry Bailey's wife in the movie. Right. And she w- said she was only 17 when she played the part. Uh, and uh, I always thought she was older than that, but she's still with us, so I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged that, yeah, she was only 17. Beautiful lady, and she lives in Michigan. She's just a wonderful person, very, very sweet. You're right. She she looked a lot older than 17. Marion Carr as Jane Wainwright. There's an obscure one. She's not alive. Okay. Yeah, it didn't have uh, any information that said otherwise. Okay, so moving into some that would be more like your peers. Um, Ronnie Ralph played Little Sam. I, I don't think... Uh, they probably are with us, or we would have heard from them. Yeah. Jean Gale, Little Mary. She's gone. Didn't see any, any information about her. She is gone. Uh, Janine mm-hmm. Ann Roos as Little Violet. As far as I know, she may still be alive. She was a psychi- psychologist in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. And she may still be alive. I'm not sure. Okay. You know, it'd be interesting if people hear this and, and they start to pop back up. They can reach out to you, Zuzu.net. Well, she didn't show much interest in the film at all. And so the last I heard, uh, her daughter said that she was not, you know, doing too well. And that that was like a year and a half ago. So I don't know if she's still with us or not. I see. And then there was... Uh, a an uncredited role, Michael Chapin, who played young George's friend. So there may I be... Don't, I don't have any idea. There are probably some other townsfolk that I missed. They're uncredited people. Um, I'm not sure. They, they would probably be a little bit older, and it's not likely well, that they might still be We around. figure there's five that are still living, and that's three of the Bailey kids and uh, young Violet Dick and um, Virginia Patton Moss. Okay. All right. Well, and I saw that there are twin brothers who appeared as babies in the movie. Yes. <laughs> I met them at one time, but I haven't I haven't gotten in contact with them since. So I think they may be alive, but at least one of them, but I'm not sure. I don't uh, they live in the Washington DC area or Baltimore area, somewhere around in there, and um I don't I don't know if they're still or not. I understand that the man who played Potter's bodyguard, Frank Hagney, is alive and well at 132. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine that guy? <laughs> but can you imagine being in a movie and never having a line? Not no. one? And he, had, he had a lot of movie footage. He really did. But there was not one single line. He, he never is uttered a word. He is the most intimidating-looking guy. Just this... Uh, well cast okay so random things about It's a Wonderful Life uh, you probably, I was curious how many copies of that Farside cartoon 
do you have? I'm, re I'm referring to the one, it shows a, a professor yeah. and he's looking at his collection. He says, here's the jewel of my collection purchased for a king's ransom from a one-eyed man in Istanbul. I give you Zuzu's petals. Classic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the far side. Mm -hmm. Figure that's all over your house. Uh, no, no. No, in fact, I only had one copy, and that was from Gary himself. Oh, great. And I, it's, it's in the It's a Wonderful Life Museum. Oh, okay. In Seneca Falls, New York. Yeah, all right. Um, Facebook fan Kathy wanted to know if you kept the pedals. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. No one knew, you know, what this movie was going to become. No one had any idea, so nothing was kept, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, uh, so is this incorrect? I think IMDb says that you have an angel ornament from the Christmas tree. I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> ah. Well, that sounds like neither a denial or... Will you take, or an admission, right? <laughs> Will you take 40 bucks for it? 45. There might have been, there might have been one missing. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. All right, what scenes stand out to you? I know you talk about uh, favorite tidbits about the movie, maybe trivia, little things that people don't notice. Oh, there's a bunch of them, bunch and bunch. <laughs> uh, just there are little a ton. things like um, when George is on the bridge and he realizes he's back, and he says, this, this is pedals, this is pedals, and he's all excited. But before that happens, He's, he's praying to come back, and um, Bert the cop drives up in his car, and he gets out on the passenger side. <laughs> ah. There's a lot of things in the movie that, you know, are kind of fun. I, I'm such a geek, I guess, for this movie that there are quotes that come up regularly at my house. Um, one's a very random one, but it's where Violet sees George out on the street and she she walks away from those two guys and one of them says we'll wait for you baby yeah <laughs> I just like that <laughs> delivery I say that to my wife a lot she, li she lives with it yeah um, my son has picked up on George's line well that's a lie Harry Bailey yeah. went to war but he'll he'll frequently say well that's a lie um, I think yeah. hot, hot dog is probably in the vernacular um, that's yeah. a, a pop culture thing. Do you do that kind of stuff with your family, or are you too close to the film? Oh, no, we don't do that. No, no. <laughs> okay, I'm a freak. I knew that. But I do that with other people. I do that with fans and with my friends, who very close friends who are fans. We do that, but not my family, no. They don't, they never grew up embracing the film, and they don't quite get it, so yeah. <laughs> they don't do that. But I have fun with other people because there's so many of them. What? This whole thing? I just only wear it when I don't care what I look like. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, another one that I just thought of. Say brainless. Yeah. I, I say that one a lot. That's not a flattering thing to say to anybody. I know, but it's, you know, there's just so many. There's so many it's, that it's, it's really fun to to do that. And to, to keep them in your mind because they just fall out because you're so you're so used to watching the movie and and hearing those lines. It's a, it's a part of life. Oh yeah. Real life. Yeah. All right. So the scene at the end, your face is in the final shot of one of the most iconic films 
of all time. Isn't that just crazy to think about? Well, I guess. <laughs> uh, it, it, uh, it's pretty significant. Uh, it's, it's the happy ending to uh, sort of a roller coaster ride story because you're up and down and all around. And then in the end, you, you have a smile on your face and you realize that no man is a failure who has friends. That's very big. It's it's such a powerful message and holds it holds up so well. Do I understand that you don't like that part of the film because you struggled with the words to "Old Lang Syne"? Well, I, 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 it's not that I don't like it. It's just that I'm embarrassed because I made a fool myself. I, I acted like I knew the words <laughs> rather loudly, <laughs> which of course wasn't the greatest thing to do. But, uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, didn't like that. I, I want to put your mind at ease about that because, in my mind, it plays true to life that a little girl would not know the words to that song. And so it feels more realistic to me that, you know, that's what a, a girl would do. So I hope you, hope you don't beat yourself up about that at all. It comes across perfect. Well, I'm even embarrassed. In the movie, you can see at the end I'm embarrassed. Oh, no. <laughs> but, I... you know, it is what it is, and um, at least it was natural. I was acting very natural, and that's, I think that's what Capra looked for always, was for people to act natural. He was not one of those directors who made you stick to the script verbatim. Mm-hmm. He actually let you say what felt natural to you. And I think it really worked because then you weren't under the stress. And as long as you got the idea across, uh, that was all he cared about. Yeah, he sounds like he was a really special person. I mean, he was putting so much thought into his films. It was more than just entertainment. He wanted to make a statement and hopefully improve humanity in some way. I think that definitely comes across. He did want that. You know, he was an, uh, an immigrant. Um, from Sicily and he came up the hard way his family came up the hard way he'd been through it he knew that the little man so to speak um, had a hard time in, in, in those days and still does that's why the movie is so uh, prevalent today and why it's so popular is because things haven't changed that much no, uh, people still you know, have a hard time. There's still those crotchety old bankers who make bad decisions. It's it's hard. It's really, really difficult. And um, I think that Frank Capra had his hand on on this situation, and, and he would have liked to have fixed everybody's lives, but he just wanted to tell the story, that there was hope and what was important in life, and sometimes we forget that. So I, I was encouraged um, that, that that was one of the things that he really focused on. And, and the thing that is really cool about uh, all of this, this film is that um, it, it, no one really knew that it would be the success that it has been. And so it, it seems so natural that it just it is what it is, and it has taught people to live their lives a little differently. There's a guy in Indiana 
who uh, was a, a developer. He is now developing uh, many retirement communities uh, where you can buy or where you can rent, and, and he's putting them up everywhere, and he's calling them Bailey Parks, and they all have something to do with Bailey Park, and they have um, you know streets with the name the names from the film and all you know it's just really it's 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 a part of the, that life and then there's a banker in Oswego which is a suburb of Chicago and I was just amazed he he loves basketball and he has a basketball court in his bank and he, he feels like he wants to be a George Bailey. He really embraces the, the the idea that he can be a George Bailey, and so he has a loan that is for people who lost everything in 2008 or who need a second chance, and, and, and he feels like he's doing a really good thing because he gives them a loan. It's a mortgage, and it's called the Zuzu Mortgage. Really? Yeah, isn't that cool? Oh, that is and really so, cool. And so, you know, he charges the, the same um, interest rate that you would, you know, he doesn't uh, take advantage of them and, and, and makes their, helps make their life better, which, you know, this is all because of that film, that these people are interacting in life and helping to change other people's lives. See, that's the wonderful part about the film. It uh, continues to live and continues to give. That's great. Yeah, and he would have had no idea that that would live on way past him. Frank Capra would no. have known. That's great. Well, actually, he did know that it did. He knew what it had become before he died. Yes. Yes, but to keep going. I mean, when he yeah. was filming it, when you were, you were all making the movie. Oh, um, he had no idea at that a, time. No. That's amazing. It's a blessing. And, uh -huh. and it feels providential that you... You become the ambassador for this movie. Uh, you're unofficial. <laughs> unofficial, sure. And there yeah. are others. You know, you have uh, your castmates who are still around. But I, th I think of this person who was born on the Fourth of July in Hollywood, yeah. California. Uh, <laughs> what? What more? How can you get more American than that? <laughs> and then, That's true. And then to uh, understand your life story and how it's come back and what, how many movies have had not just a second life, but like, you know, one that, that became this big and then has just lived on. It's, it's so amazing to think about. Yes, it is. And um, it's, it's, it's ironic because... Um, my birthday is not only on the 4th of July, but the studio was made by Liberty Films. It was the only film they ever made. And it, the logo of the movie is Liberty Bell. That's right. And I was born on the 4th of July. So there's a lot there. <laughs> there is a lot there. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you're out there and have got to be a part of it. Me too. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us. Oh, you're welcome. I, I truly enjoyed it, and I love talking about the film. I love talking about um, Jimmy Stewart. He was wonderful, and, uh, you know, it's just a, so much a part of my life that I love to share it. So 
Thank you for calling me and talking to me. You bet, and happy 70th anniversary of It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, should be a fun year. Okay, cue the giant Liberty Bell and Buffalo Gals. Thank you to Carolyn Grimes. What an honor this was. I also want to thank those of you who have been so thoughtful with your notes at the Jimmy Stewart Museum Facebook page. We'd love to know if you found this podcast through Facebook or Twitter, or if you happened upon the series at jimmy.org or through iTunes. So drop us a note on the museum Facebook page, or you can send me a note at podcast at jimmy.org. I'd love to hear from you. And thank you very much for listening. We have some exciting guests coming up, so stay tuned. Bye for now. Good way for you, baby.